So we're going to start off this morning with a little quiz. You can work with somebody else on this quiz if you would like to. Uh, you can use your bulletin if you don't have something to write on. Otherwise, try to find a piece of paper that you can jot a couple things down with. But this is a team thing. If you don't have anything to write with or write on, pull your phones out, go to your notes app, and go and put it in there. Just try not to click on your email button. Here's the quiz. Thinking back to whenever you were a teenager, or some of you that are teenagers right now, what do you think the top 10 sources of stress are for teenagers? Two minutes. Go ahead and write them down. Yep, go ahead and record them down on your phone or on your bulletin or somewhere that we can take a look here in, about, in a couple of minutes, see how we do, and then we're going to utilize this later on in our discussion as well. For the sake of time, if you're still writing, go ahead and record those. We're going to keep moving on, though, and we're going to take a look and see how we did. So number 10 is depression. It's amazing that in a society that we, where we have so much that depression is so rampant, especially among our teenagers. Uh, number nine is school pressure. Number seven is self-doubt or feelings of helplessness. Number seven is sense of loss. DJ just prayed for the Garretts. Um, and that's not, this sense of loss is not necessarily just from a family situation. It could be sense of loss in other ways as well. Number six, understanding the ways of the world. We tend to, whenever we're young, grow up with perceptions around the world all being friendly, and whenever we get to be teenagers, a lot of times we find out that that's not necessarily the case. Everybody's not always looking out for my own best interest. Number five, family problems. Number four, having to deal and sort out love and relationships with others. Career concerns, body image issues. Somebody said physical appearance. You know, I... I think we've created this as a society, number, uh, number two. And then number one is peer pressure. So now these are interpretable. So if you have something that's close to there, go ahead and count it. How many got at least five? At least five? That's actually about a third of us. Okay, good. So we're going to come back to this a little bit later on. Uh, but there's a reason why we did that. As we take a look at Daniel, we're going to see how this applies. But Daniel, the book of Daniel, in terms of just a little bit of background, uh, apart from Lamentations, Daniel is the shortest book of the major prophets. It's referred to more in New Testament prophecy than any other Old Testament book, and it also contains more fulfilled prophecy than any other book in the Bible. Historically, whenever we start here in chapter 1, we're just going to go through chapter 1 today, and we'll have some other chapters in ensuing weeks. But chapter 1 is right around 605 B.C. And despite decades of solemn warning from a number of the prophets, including Isaiah, Micah, and Jeremiah, uh, the nation of Judah, their apostasy and immorality, actually brought about the, uh, about the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple as well. And this was a destruction that God had actually warned his people about since the time of Moses. So this wasn't something that just all of a sudden popped up. Uh, it was in anticipation of something that was coming and they had been warned about. So I'm going to go to Second Chronicles. If you have your Bibles, you can go there real quickly with me before we go to Daniel. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, at the beginning of the chapter, the first, oh, 14 verses or so, we see a reference to a lot of the chronology of the different kings of Judah. And as you read through them, a lot of them end with, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's even, if you look at, this is appalling to me. Uh, if you're there, look at verse 9. Jehoiakim was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days. 
That's a long reign. And it ends with, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Eight years old, three months evil in the sight of the Lord. That just is a representation of what's going on in the nation of Judah at this point. I'm going to fast forward to verse 15 and read to verse 21, just again to give us a little bit of historic context. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they have continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all of its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the king of Persia, kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So what we see is Jerusalem was captured by the Chaldeans and the people were exiled to Babylon for 70 years. Now we're going to turn over with that context. We're going to turn over to Daniel chapter 1. The whole story or the whole narrative of Daniel, we see a kind of a comparison in a relationship or relating, if you will, of a series of contests between false gods of human intervention that were created by man and the God Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. There are four primary theological areas of emphasis throughout the book. The first one is one of the ones that we'll focus on today, and that is the absolute sovereignty of God. We see that depicted here in chapter 1 and throughout the book. The other theological threads are the power of prayer, long-range scope of God's program of redemption, and then the unyielding grace of God. We'll see some of those depicted, but predominantly this morning, we're going to focus on the sovereignty of God. So before we dive in, let's go ahead and say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, you are no different today than you were in Daniel's day. You are sovereign, and God, you are at work. And Father, our desire is to hear from you this morning. God, not to just take a look uh, at Scripture, although that's important, but Father, to truly hear from you. So Lord, we pray that you would just guide our discussion, guide our conversation, and Father, that you would reveal your truth to us in your name. Amen. Verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave... Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. We see here already God's sovereignty. It was not because of the prowess of the armies of Nebuchadnezzar that they won. It was because God gave them into his hand. This was the first, actually, of a series of three invasions that Nebuchadnezzar conducted. Um, And the results right here are right around 605 BC. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel 
including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered them to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration for the king's choice food from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned to them new names. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. We hear a lot in our society discussion around diversity. Regardless of what you feel about that, we see Nebuchadnezzar actually believed in diversity. So whenever he ransacked or he besieged other countries, he would bring in the best of the best. And we see that depicted here. So he's looking to bring in those that were noteworthy. We're going to call it into his, I'm going to call it the Royal Academy. So the Royal Academy of Education for the Babylonians. And we see the requirements that were there. No deformities. They had to be good looking. Ability in all academic areas. So how many of us were good or are good in math? How many of us are good in math or were good in math? All right. How about literature? Okay. Science? History? Okay. So what happened as we went through that, some of us raised our hands. Some of us kept them up the whole time. That's great. Feel, consider yourself very blessed. But the majority of us were not able to keep our hands up the entire time because God has gifted us in various places. Well, that's not good enough for Nebuchadnezzar. They had to be versed in all areas. Knowledgeable and intelligent, quick to get it. So it wasn't uh, these guys, they weren't individuals who would have to take some time to process. And then they were competent to rub shoulders in the king's palace. So how many of us would have made the cut? No hands went up. All right. Maybe some of us would. Okay, I appreciate your humility and not raising your hand, though. <laughs> Yeah, humility wasn't one of the prerequisites there. Uh, I saw somebody going, maybe me. Uh, But for the most part, we would not have been able to make the cut. The other thing to consider here is youths. Does anybody know how old Daniel was at this stage of the game whenever he was taken into captivity? About 15. Okay, so we did have somebody that was right. All right, 15 years old. Keep that in mind in conjunction with that first list that we looked at earlier today. We see in verse 5 a reference to the food. Most likely the meat that was being offered to these individuals had already been offered to the pagan gods. In addition to the drink that they would have been offered, the best of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar's table, table most likely had already been offered to the pagan gods. And so even if something wasn't forbidden by law, it was now tainted by the culture. It was tainted by having been offered to other gods. We see that they were in the educational system of the Royal Academy for how many years? Three. Imagine yourself being immersed in a culture, immersed in a situation where you have no control. And my guess is this was probably a little bit different from our educational system today. Maybe not all that different, but in some areas, they probably didn't have an ability to be able to speak out against something that was stated. I see a process of, I'll call it indoctrination, in this particular circumstance. 
you know, when I was in, I remember when I was in junior high, the first teaching, if you will, of evolution. And I remember not agreeing with the things that, you know, talking about the millions of years and the different um, segments of, uh, uh, yeah, the different time periods of evolution. And I remember writing answers on a test just to get a good grade, but that was just one segment. Imagine being bombarded with an entire educational system that is completely against any principles of your faith. Verse 6 says, among them. It says, now among them were these four guys. Among them means there were others. So what happened to them? We don't know. Maybe there were others that stayed true to their faith. Maybe there were some that were more concerned about getting likes on their Facebook page that they succumbed. There was opportunity for compromise here. Odds are, not all of them were able to stay strong in their faith. Change in the names. Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious, to Shadrach, commander, commanded by Aku, which is a moon god. Mishael, God is without equal, to Meshach, which means belonging, belonging to Aku. And Azariah, Yahweh is my helper to Abednego, which is servant of Nebo, which is another one of their gods. Why the change of names? Any ideas? What's that? Yep. Very good. Their identities were placed. Their names played a role in their identities and who they were in conjunction with God. Changing their names, the intent was to change their identities. DJ said earlier, as we were, uh, before we actually started, he said, you know, let's take a, try to take a look at this from a different perspective. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. This is what you're going through. This is pretty significant. Let's move on to verse 8. We'll read 8 to 14. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than they used to or your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. That's a pretty serious consequence. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants accordingly. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. It says in verse 8 that he made up his mind. Keep in mind, there's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit at this point. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living in us. Daniel does not have that at this stage of the game because the Holy Spirit has not come. So he made up his mind. He determined in his mind beforehand what he's going to do and how he's going to respond. You know, interestingly, whenever you study the mind, there are two portions of the mind, two sections of the mind. There's a rational side and there's an emotional side. Which one do you think gets triggered first? Absolutely. The emotional side gets triggered almost immediately. And so whenever we have situations where we see people or maybe even ourselves, quote, unquote, unquote, fly off the handle, we are responding to our emotional side. The challenge is slow that down so our rational mind can catch up with it so that I don't 
do something that ultimately I regret. That's not an easy thing to do. But by thinking and dedicating ourselves to certain responses beforehand can help us with that. And we see Daniel actually doing this. He made up his mind beforehand what he was going to do. So he wasn't going to eat the food. He determined he wasn't going to eat the food, so he rebelled. Did he rebel? No. What did he do? He reasoned. He went to the commander and he said, this is what we would like to do. He basically sought out permission. He subjected himself to the authorities of that day and sought permission appropriately. He didn't rebel. He also took into consideration what the ultimate consequences might be for his commander, which is, I think, kind of a neat thing too. The diet was not public. It was private. What we see in the text is there were basically five people that knew. The four boys and the overseer over them. Nobody else knew. We're going to see here toward the end of the chapter, they're going to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and they're going to have a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was still going to be able to take credit for their appearance. How many times do we in our lives do things for the sake of public appearance when God actually calls us to do them privately? Verses 15 and 16. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than the other youths who had been eating the king's choice food. I've always wondered about that, fatter. You know, that's not something that we necessarily think is a positive thing, but maybe better nourished. I don't know, maybe that's an aversion somewhere, but it, this one says fatter. Uh, 16, so the overseer continued to withhold the choice food and the wine they were uh, given, they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. So what we see is success here. God granted them favor because of their faithfulness. It wasn't because of the diet. The diet didn't have anything to do with it. It was because of their faithfulness. Why 10 days? Apparently in those days, 10 represented uh, a number of completeness. And so being able to be evaluated after a 10-day period was credible. 17 to 21. As for these four years, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the other magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So these guys were found to be ten times better than all of those around them. The conjurer or the magicians were those that probably used the stars to foretell things. Uh, and then the conjurers were the soothsayers, those that supposedly were able to be able to read into the future. It says also that Daniel was given the ability to be able to see visions and interpret those. We'll see that next week in chapter 2, whenever he reconstructs Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We also see it in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, uh, again, ensuing weeks, whenever those will be discussed. Verse 21, he continued until the first days of Cyrus the king. So he was probably there about 65 years. So how do we respond to this? The primary text, 
primary purpose of the text is not to tell us to eat vegetables, although we should eat our vegetables, right? <laughs> we should eat healthily. But that's not the purpose of the text. The purpose of the text is not to teach us how to behave. The purpose of the text is to point us to God and to declare his sovereignty. We see in verse 2, it says, the Lord gave. In verse 9, it says, now God granted. And in verse 17, as for these four use, God gave. All of the things that happened in this were in conjunction with God's sovereignty. So let's go back and take a look at the list that we started with today. Stepping yourself into David or into, into Daniel's shoes, how many of these do you think were applicable for him? Let's walk through them. Peer pressure, I'd say yes. Body image issues, nah, nah, no deformities, good looking, probably had six pack abs. You know, it, he probably didn't struggle with that. I'm going to skip that one, but maybe he did have some, some body image issues. Career concerns, just got uprooted from where he was and is now where he is. Who knows what the future's going to hold. Love relationships, maybe, maybe not. Family problems, probably because he was separated now from his family, although I didn't highlight that. Understanding the ways of the world, absolutely. The ways of his world just changed very significantly. Sense of loss, he just lost his family. Self-doubt, potentially feelings of helplessness, probably. School pressure, without a doubt. We don't read anywhere that he was depressed, but there's a potential that that may have come in and played a role there. I want us to understand that whenever we have these many types of pressures on us as a 15-year-old, there is a lot of opportunity for us to compromise. Well, God allowed this to happen, so this must be okay. How many of us have had that thought process at some point in our lives too? God allowed this, so then stepping over here and doing this must be okay. Daniel didn't compromise. He didn't compromise his faith. He didn't compromise his focus. And he didn't compromise where his sights were set. Two things I'd like to comment on in conclusion. One, from a cultural standpoint, Daniel and his friends lived at a time when God's people were seen and defined as an ethnic group, a distinct national identity, okay? They actually had a political identity as well. That's not where we are today. After Christ, we now, as the church, are God's people. The church spans political components. The church spans ethnic, ethnic components. The church spans race. The church spans national boundaries. It spans everything. But we see and we know here in Daniel chapter 1 that there was some challenge between faith and between culture. So regardless of where we come from culturally, there's always going to be some conflict. Daniel determined in his heart that he would not succumb to the challenges and the compromises of his culture a point for us to think about this morning. Are there areas where we, individually potentially, or as a body as a whole, where we have succumbed to the gods, if you will, of our culture? 
One of those, I would say, is self. American culture, one of the gods we have is individualism, where it's all about me. Our society breeds that and tells us that that's what we should do. And that's not what God teaches us to do. The other component is compromise. Are there areas in our life where God is speaking to us where we have compromised? Where we know we've stepped across a boundary line, if you will, and we've stepped into a situation where we've made a decision that we know is not honoring to God. If there are areas where we have done that this morning, God's calling us back. He wants us to come back. He gives us the freedom to come back. The beautiful thing about whether we have compromised in the past or whether we have succumbed to the challenges of culture is that his arms are open wide. When we compromise, we are bound by the restraints of that sin. And Satan wants to keep us there. But when we step back across and we find the freedom of forgiveness that God gives, there's no more boundary. There's no more binding. There are no more shackles. He's the one that brings the freedom. God was sovereign in Daniel's day, and he's sovereign today. One last component that I'd like to mention is these guys got new names whenever they were taken into Babylon. That was a negative thing for them because the intent was to change their identity into a Babylonian identity. We fast forward to the New Testament. When we accept Christ, he gives us a new name. He gives us a new robe. Last week, Dave shared his testimony, had his jacket on. For those of us that were here to enjoy that, God gives us a new name too. And that new name is salvation and freedom and purpose. And if that's something that you don't know or something that you'd like to experience, find somebody after the service and we'll be glad to have a conversation with you about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truthfulness of your word. God, we thank you for Daniel. And God, our prayer is that we're able to take a look at Daniel maybe in a little bit different light than what we have before. And the flannel graphs are great, Father, but there were great struggles for a 15-year-old being uprooted from his country and set under the educational system of the Babylonians. But yet he stood firm. And God, you give us that ability and that strength to be able to do the same. And Lord, I pray that with our discussion this morning that, Father, your spirit encourages us and God helps us to know that we have freedom in you. And God, that you are the one that gives us the strength to persevere and the opportunity to be able to be salt and light to those around us. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to transition to taking communion together. Praise team, you can come forward, as well as the deacons who will be serving. Um, Really appreciated the teaching this morning. One thing that was going through my mind while our brother was bringing the word this morning was that Daniel, while standing firm in his faith and rejecting the culture of the Babylonians, Notice how loving and honoring he was towards the people. The rejection of the culture, the the choosing to stand firm in his faith, did not lead to Daniel rejecting the people. And we see this throughout the book of Daniel, where Daniel walks this amazingly fine line where he genuinely loves the people around him 
even while struggling with the things that they're putting pressure on. And it's pretty remarkable how he did that. Um, this morning, we're going to conclude our service uh, through commi- the commemoration of our Lord's sacrifice by participation in the Lord's table. We would invite um, anyone to join us, visitors, as long as um, you've been baptized and you're a committed Christ follower. Uh, please join us.